to Nashville. I'm going to make a splash. No, I'm going to knock them dead. I'll be the only country singing star who can sing standing on her head. Play my ukulele at the Opry and make their hearts stand still. I'm going to be a country star. I'm going to be a country star when I get to Nashville. Welcome to Becoming Outlaws. This program engages celebrities, scholars, and diverse voices in candid conversations about following Jesus, defying societal norms, and exploring profound and often not so profound questions of faith. It's not often I have a guest who fits every one of those categories in this program. Victoria Jackson is a celebrity. I consider her a scholar. And if you don't, uh, just try to go up against her and her Bible knowledge. You'll change your mind. And she's literally known for having literally a distinct or diverse voice. She's a follower of Jesus. She defies societal norms and is often exploring her own profound questions of faith. Victoria, of course, is best known for her six years on Saturday Night Live. That ranged from 1986 to 1992. And in my opinion, that was Saturday Night Live's heyday. It was a big deal then. It's a bigger deal then than it is now. The cast were actually funny and not just liberal mocking machines. And it was the talk of schoolyards and water coolers the next Monday. This was before there were so many channels, so many streaming options, uh, TikTok and YouTube and Netflix. So when you had a Saturday Night Live program, it was a big deal, and a lot of people watched. The staff she was involved with, they've become legendary. Steve Martin, Phil Hartman, John Lovitz, Dana Carvey. Her last few years there, she worked with the next crew of people that were the Chris Farley's, uh, Eddie Murphy and such. My favorite skit, um, actually, the, it's Toonces the Driving Cat, and that theme song still lives rent-free in my head where Victoria and Steve Martin and every Toonces would be um, going for a drive and the cat was driving the car. I know it sounds ridiculous. Um, it was, but that's what made it funny. Before those years, she was a regular act on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And once again, The Tonight Show is a way bigger deal than it is now. Pretty much, if you're on The Tonight Show, that could launch your career. If Johnny Carson did not like your act, you probably had to find uh, another job opportunities career choices she was on there <clears throat> at least about 20 times i believe and then discovered by saturday night live and since her career has spanned television film stand-up comedy as a matter of fact back in that day i used to enjoy weird owl music and um he came out with a movie called uhf and victoria was the uh, co-star i think uh, actually i know played his girlfriend in that movie but she is much more than a media personality. She's a person with a life who has ups and downs and daily struggles like we all do. But she's also a deep woman of faith. That's the side of Victoria Jackson I'm hoping to discover today. Counted among the outlaws, he said, come follow me. People from all walks of life since have been becoming outlaws. I feel like I kind of know you because, um, I mean, you don't really know people just because you recognize their face from television, but, but I've, in prepping for this, I've watched you talk with Beckett Cook, China Phillips Baldwin, um, more personal things, some of your personal struggles or videos that you would put on YouTube. I've watched them. And then I actually read, uh, lavender hair which i know the subtitle is uh for women with breast cancer or something so i'm not obviously any of those things but i would recommend that to anyone because it's really it was so encouraging because that's a specific thing you went through but everyone at some point has struggles and i loved it because you're so honest, um, even with the struggles of your faith during it from day to day. And, uh, you know, it's not just a book. 
I think you'd read a Christian book that just it's all positive and it's all you're like, well, I don't feel all positive. And you almost feel disconnected. Well, maybe I'm not a good Christian, but yours was blatantly honest. I enjoyed that. Uh, you're, you're making me cry. <laughs> well, <sighs> it's true. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's good. It had more scripture in it. The only other book I think that had more scripture that I've read is the Bible, probably. Wall to wall scripture. Yeah. It was very impressive. I enjoyed that. Goodness gracious. That touches me so much. Good. I'm sure it's touched. I'm sure it's touched a lot of women, but I'm just saying I think anyone could find encouragement out of uh lavender hair for sure. Oh my goodness. My you know, life is so hard for everyone. And today I was trying to have a positive attitude. By the way, uh, sorry, I have so much. Uh, what do you call that when you make your picture prettier? What do you call that? You have filters Filter. on? Sorry, there's so much <laughs> filters on me, but I pushed a button that said make yourself prettier and it's way filtered. Why not? Why I don't not? look like this. This is, no. I like this look yeah anyway, i think uh, a popular fil i think a popular filter now is like bold glamour all the girls on whatever <laughs> tiktok they put on this bold glamour and you have no idea what they really look like well i don't think you have a filter on at all uh i don't but i have a lot of um powder so that i don't get shine from like i have four lights right here so uh. well uh, first i have to let it soak in all the nice things you said to me because yeah. I have been so um, blacklisted so many times for being a Christian or whatever. And I know the Bible says that they will persecute you if you stand up for Jesus. And I know it says they hate us because they hated him. And I know that we can't whine here. We still have freedom of speech, barely. And we, um, we're not getting, we're not being torched as a Roman candle for you know Nero and we're not in those countries over there where people are actually having their heads chopped off for believing in Jesus so I have nothing to complain about but it does hurt my feelings when I lost two stand-up gigs this year because I went to the town hall meeting and they were voting on the gay pride parade for my local little town in Tennessee and uh, this is the Bible Belt, but wherever there's government things, like especially downtown Nashville, but anything related to government, there's lots of liberals and anti-God people running it. But all the rest of the state is like super Bible Belt, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. It's like, I wish Christians would go run for office, but I did once and it was the worst thing I've ever been through. It was torture. The newspaper lied about me. They used a picture where I looked like this. Of course they on did. Pur on purpose, mm -hmm. on the front page. Uh, they lied and said, I hate Muslims. And I'm like, what? They, they lied and said, she wrote an article because a Muslim moved into her neighborhood. It's totally a lie. Um, and, you know, they... Um, so I lost these two gigs this year and, you know, it's nothing compared to getting your head chopped off, but it hurts my feelings because, you know, my friends from Saturday Night Live, they're still milking the SNL connection. We're all 60 something and they're still doing stand up. And I love, I love comedy. I love hearing laughter and applause, of course. And, um, I, I miss it. A couple months ago, I prayed specifically and I said, Lord, I really miss comedy. I really miss laughter. Um, and um, he just dropped into my lap four funny roles with super great people, three low budget Christian movies, four, if you count last year, four low budget Christian movies, super wonderful people on the set praying instead of the set in LA, New York, where they say the F word in every sentence, which I got used to, but yeah. now I'm like, Hey, nobody's saying the F word. What's going on? Creative people who aren't saying the F word. And, oh, he let me be in two music videos. One is for unspoken. It's called love is everything you need. And one was for Mason Douglas and it's called I miss America. I saw that one. 
Yeah. So he got it. God's like, oh, you want to do comedy? And uh, I'm like, thank you. Thank you. And then I get to be on Huckabee this Thursday and I get to sing a ukulele song. Now my biggest problem is trying to figure out which song to sing because I'm making a new CD because I I can't help it. uh, This creative gene that I have, it's probably from my dad. He was a gymnastics coach, but he was always sitting in his little chair with his little machine, his little eight millimeter machine, watching Olga Corbett's balance beam routine over and over and over. And I'm like, you know, most dads don't do that. And he's like, Vicky, I think you should do a one arm back walkover in the second line of your beam routine. Look, watch how Olga Corbett, watch this pose. I mean, if that's your dad, then I guess you grow up like this. Yeah. Well, let's figure out your ukulele song. Let's let's get that dilemma. We'll help you out. What's your um, what's your favorite one? What do you like to do the most? Which one do you inside makes you laugh? Well, <laughs> I already did on Huckabee my favorite new one. It's a broken world baby. Mm-hmm. I already did that on Huckabee. And then I was thinking I would do lavender hair, but it's not funny. It's sweet. And then I was thinking I would do When I Get to Nashville, because it's the name of my album. But there's only one joke in it, and it's about Dolly Parton. And I'm not sure they would let me do that one. And, and then the other song is Mini Pearl, which I just wrote with two friends of mine, Mason Douglas. And that one has, I don't know. I, I don't know. What do you think? Where's your ukulele? Oh, it's over here. You want Grab to it. Hear, Show us. There she goes. She's known for handstands and ukulele songs. Okay, you can you can edit out my big fat body walking over there. <laughs> when I get to Nashville, I'm gonna make a splash. No, I'm gonna knock them dead. I'll be the only country singing star who can sing standing on her head. Play my ukulele at the Opry and make their hearts stand still. I'm gonna be a country star. I'm gonna be a country star when I get to Nashville. Well, you know, everybody has a gimmick. I mean, Dolly Parton has two gimmicks. Uh, I'll have three, because I can do a handstand. If Dolly Parton did a handstand, she would suffocate herself. <laughs> I don't think it's too edgy. That's what she's known for. She wants to be known for that. So, oh, so there's that choice. That's the end of the song. Very good. <laughs> so then the other song is. Want to hear the other choice? Yeah, for sure. Lavender hair. He sees me as softy, not heavy. He hears me as wise and not dull. He thinks that I'm super terrific when others think nothing at all. He sees me as funny and silly, graceful as Fred Astaire, and he doesn't notice the gray. He said I have lavender hair. So you grew up a Southern Baptist. Yes. And so if people aren't familiar with the denominations, the Southern Baptists, at least the old school Southern Baptists were, um, and probably are, what I appreciate about them, one is hymns. I miss the old Southern hymns mm. that we don't hear anymore. And uh, and the focus on salvation, you know, not just seven tips to positive living, but you can't leave a Southern Baptist um, service without having an invitation to receive Christ and whatnot. But how did that affect your life? Meaning, um, you know, a lot of people say they're Christian and even people online, they'll, I'll say things like uh, I'll talk about the religion of Christianity versus being a Christian, having a relationship with Christ. And then I get all kinds of negative feedback of people who don't explain, you know, that I'm not very smart because I don't know the difference. You know, Christian is a religion. You know the difference. When did you know the difference between you were just raised in church and it's your parents or family's beliefs that that this is something real to you? And then how did it affect your life and career? 
well, what, what, when did you become a Christian? Me, uh, my story is similar to yours other than um, Saturday Night Live, meaning I wasn't uh, in a Baptist church, but I was in a traditional denomination when I was raised in it. And I would say by the age of five, I was able to distinguish the difference that something's real. And even though you were already learning the Sunday school lessons, that there was an acceptance of um, asking Christ to have a relationship with you personally. Even kids somehow can understand that because the spirit doesn't have age. And I don't think our spirits have age, really, when it comes to spiritual knowledge. Uh, you know, you can be, you know, when you're saved, when you're, you could be 80 and you're an infant and a toddler in the faith, or you can almost literally be a toddler and come into the faith. So I think that's similar to you. So to me, around five, I would say, and then um, water baptized at eight and whatnot. What denomination were you raised in? It was a, Assemblies of God. So it was a Pentecostal denomination, but back then, I think it was very similar outside of a few doctrinal issues. I think it was very similar to yours into the Baptist where it was very salvation focused and, you know, you couldn't wear jeans in church and um, no swearing, no smoking, no getting divorced. No, you know, it was a lot of no's. <laughs> Um, and not that those no's are wrong, but, you know, I think as you mature, you realize there's a difference between no's don't mean a lot to you. Living in the spirit takes care of those things. But I feel like I'm, I'm explaining it all. How was your experience? Because it's a long way from a Baptist upbringing to wanting to go to Hollywood. Yeah, it is. Well, I have a very similar experience as you. Uh, I think when I was five, I probably got when I was six, I learned to read five or six. And I, I always say that John three sixteen, it just kind of came alive to me. I think about that time. Um, I realized that God was talking to me as an individual when he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I thought God's talking to the world, but he's also talking to me as an individual. I think when I was six, I realized that. And of course, they always had the altar call and we sang just as I am a thousand times every Sunday and Wednesday night. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when I was six, uh, it was like a light bulb went bing. And uh, at home, I said to my dad, um, Daddy, would you kneel by my bed with me? I want to ask Jesus into my heart. And he's like, sure. And um, I remember thinking they have lots of different words for it. Accept him as your personal savior, the Lord of your life. Let him in your heart. But I got the concept. And I think you said it so eloquently that a child, a child, however you said it, there's no age for spiritual growth or what I, I mean I totally understood the gospel with childlike faith and I completely understood it I knelt down I asked Jesus to forgive me for my sins I could only think of two because I was six years old I thought well what are my sins I was mean to my brother two times but I knew that I got the concept that I'd probably be sinning in the future and um that Jesus died on the cross for that. He rose from the dead. He wants to be with me forever. My sin separated me from him. Uh, when I went to Bible college, when I was 16, our preacher, A. Ray Stanford, he used to go, here's you and here's your sin. And your sin separates you from God. So Jesus came and died for you, your sin so he can be anyway. Um, but he used to do it with his wallet. He always took his wallet out, <laughs> Dr. A. Ray Stanford. But anyway, so yeah, I mean, I totally got it. And then it, of course, affected my life a lot. When I was eight, I heard a sermon about um, uh, who, whom shall I send? Who will go forth? And Isaiah, and, and the preacher said, whoever wants to say, yes, Lord, uh, here I am. I, I will 
tell the gospel. I will go into the world and tell the gospel as you commanded us. And, and so I went forward when I was eight and I remember thinking, Lord, please don't send me to Africa because it looks really scary. Lots of snakes and everything in the missionary videos. But instead I ended up at Saturday night live in the halls of 30 Rockefeller Plaza. And I remember walking alone down the halls. I was alone a lot and um, thinking, wow, well, this is my mission field. Very funny, Lord. It's not enough. There's no, there's no jungle animals here, but there's metaphorically, you know. And um, so I have a lot of stories like <clears throat> Al Franken. Well, this is the way I remember it. He came up to me in the hall one day and he said, Victoria, can I talk to you for a minute? It really offends me that um you uh, act like a ditz because uh, I heard you talking at the meeting and you're actually very intelligent and it just kind of offends me. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, well, uh, I, I guess maybe I'm, <clears throat> maybe it's my voice. You know, they said I have congenital palatal insufficiency and uh, it's genetic and air comes out of my nose or something. I don't know. Or maybe it's because I'm overcompensating. Maybe I act like this because I'm overcompensating for what I'm really thinking all the time, which is that everyone's dying and going to hell. And I'm supposed to tell them about Jesus. And he, his face was like white. It was like, and he slowly walked away. Yeah. And I, I've said that story before. And they asked him about it. And he said, I don't remember it that way. Anyway, that's how I remember it. And he used to write uh, some things that I was in. One time he wrote about term limits. And I said, what's term limits? And it's funny because now he probably wouldn't be for that. I don't know. But um, yeah, so what the reason I got in show business, it's kind of an interesting story. My dad was in vaudeville. He was an acrobat, a tumbler, a gymnast. He was juggling, jumping on the trampoline. And he went from a chubby little kid uh, who people made fun of, roly-poly, and, and in high school, he determined to, to not be made fun of anymore. And he tried all the sports and he failed at all of them. When he went in the gym, he said all the men were in white and they all had a dimple in their chin like Kurt Douglas. And they were doing flips in their tight white outfits and their little slippers. And he said, that's, it was like, oh, that's what I want to be. And he said he held on to the bar and he couldn't do one pull up. And he said, my fingers went like this and I slipped off the bar and fell. So that summer in Chicago at Montrose Beach, he went every day to the chin up bar and he tried to do a pull up. And at the end of the summer, he had one pull up and that, you know, he became a phys ed teacher and a women's gymnastics coach. And so that was my whole childhood competing, being a leotard, being in the gym, standing on his head. You know, it's a kooky childhood. Meanwhile, he's Baptist deacon and we're in church three times a week. I'm in a Christian school and my dad's like, hey, Vicky, volunteer to do your your balance beam routine at the pep rally. And I'm thinking, well, they won't even let us wear cheerleading skirts that are more than one inch above the knee. I don't know how they're going to deal with a leotard. You know, that's like <laughs> naked. That's like yeah. being naked. And so there was this, you know, thing. I, I My whole child was like, and then he asked the school. They said I could not take dance lessons. And he went to the principal and said, she has to take ballet for her gymnastics. And they're like, um <laughs> so uh i mean so he he was such a character and he taught me so much he studied the so in other words he was a performer and then he got saved at 35 years old he became a christian so and then because of my mom so then he got passionate about studying the bible he studied all the religions he had a book the cult the kingdom of the cults and he would say vicky and jimmy these are the cults you know cult is a false religion and he would read the quran and compare it to the bible and he gave me that hunger to study the bible 
That's how it happened. Oh, so that's how it happened. Oh, so then when I was a teenager, he goes, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, I don't know. And he goes, well, you should decide. The sooner you decide, the better you'll be at it. And I said, well, he goes, if you could be anything, what would you want to be? I go, I would want to be Maria in The Sound of Music and have the marry the captain and live in a mansion with seven children and matching outfits, sit on, on the mountain and play the ukulele and harmonize with my children. And he goes, hmm, that sounds like an actress. And I, I never thought of it as a thing. I thought Maria was magic and I wanted to be her and... And he's like, well, I don't recommend show business because Christianity and show business don't mix very well. But if that's what you want to be, give it a hundred percent. That's encouraging. So I did. Hey, Victoria, before you go on to your story, you mentioned the book Kingdom of the Cults and um, and then you mentioned Sound of Music, which I also grew up on. I know all the, I learned a ballroom dance in college to um, Edelweiss. <laughs> I, know. I know it's embarrassing but it's true but i just want to give you a little this is a factoid i think you'll enjoy it you like to learn i know that did you know and this has to do with a cult do you remember the heaven's gate cult where the mass suicide in california mm-hmm. and the leaders were doe and t i don't know if you remember that the main guy at the end well, they were Marshall Applewhite, and then there used to be a Bonnie Nettles, I think her name was, but she died before they all did the suicide. But their nicknames in the cult, they were only to be called Doe and T, not Marshall and Bonnie. And literally, it's because he liked the sound of music. And they named their cult names after Dore Me, that song in there. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti. Yeah, do and T. There you go. There, there's a random factoid for you. That is interesting. And bizarre. And bizarre. <laughs> so anyway, sorry. That was a side note. Um, so I'm also a little bit like your dad. I, I read that book. I actually, on a shelf here, I have an updated version. Uh, huh. Walter Martin, I think, is the author. Uh, kingdom of the cults. So what led you to Hollywood then? And what I'm really interested about that leap is you have gymnast skills and you're, there's nothing to do with them. Yeah. The the only career for a gymnast, because you peak at 14 is to be a coach. Like Nadia Comaneci, she was the best in the world. She won the Olympics. She was the best, 10.0, first time. She's a coach. Right. But you did it. You outbeat Nadia because you actually made a career doing handstands. You know, I recently watched, you know, watching clips, getting ready to talk to you, ran across to Johnny Carson. I think it was a really, really early one. You were singing, I forgot the Angry Woman. You were singing Angry Woman. I'm an angry Woman. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm yeah. not in my hair. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and you'd randomly start doing balance beam stuff. And it really made no sense. But I think that's why you couldn't get your eyes off of it. You couldn't stop watching. Thank you. It is on <laughs> YouTube. It's in black and white because Jim McCauley, the talent scout, who discovered me, I did my first Johnny Carson doing handstand poetry because I didn't know how to write jokes. And I thought at least people won't take their eyes off me because they'll be wondering when is she going to fall down from her handstand? So Johnny Carson liked it. So they said, he wants you back, but it has to be something good. I go, I only have my B material. My first six minutes, Johnny already saw. So they let me do my B material. The third time they go, he wants you back. And he wants you to sit on the couch, but it has to be something really good. I go, I got nothing. So then I started thinking, well, something really big. What if I learned my balance beam routine again? Because now I was 23 and I peaked at, you know, probably, probably 17. Uh, And um, so I went to the gym for three months. So it wasn't random. Went to the uh, gym for three months, got some of my tricks back, made up the song, 
And then I did it. And it was, that was one of the things I'm most proud of because it was really hard. And the balance being four inches wide and I was old and I was, but you know, I was a baby compared to now, but can't do it anymore. Anyway. Yeah. So there's that. Never, yeah, the, I've been the fact that you, you casually said, um, did you call it handstand poetry? Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's a career category you probably learned in school that you're going to pursue. <laughs> going back to Nadia, you're right. So when I had all these skills with nothing to do with them, and I'm in L.A., and all the homecoming queens of America are in L.A. trying to be the next Marilyn Monroe or whatever. Because, you know, I, I, my theory is that people go to Hollywood who who have nothing to lose. Like, my friends who had really like a lot of money or really, you know, my, my high school sweetheart was supposed to marry me and I would have been happy living in the suburbs, lower middle class married to a cop. But his dad said we weren't allowed to get married. We were too young. So I was like, well, I can be a secretary, <clears throat> go to college, quit type, go back to, which I sort of did my whole life. Or I could go be a secretary you know, and wait for him to graduate, or I could be a secretary in LA and chase my whim of acting. So anyway, I went and chased my whim. That was the only time I thought I could chase a whim because I knew I'd be married with children someday. But I, but I'm rambling. I, I could talk forever. It was a great adventure and God was with me all the time. And um, some of the things were hard because you know, I had to turn down. They always want you to be naked when you're in your 20s. Uh, every audition, well, lots of them. But now that I'm 60, it's not a problem. Any 64, it's not a problem. Nobody asks me to be naked anymore. That's my little joke, but it's true. But, um, you know, like I auditioned for movies and I kept getting bigger parts and bigger parts. And, and, and then, you know, you're like, you know, will you sign this clause of partial nudity? And I'm like, oh, uh, actually the movie, uh, I love I love you to death. That Lawrence Kasdan directed, the big chill Lawrence Kasdan. Um, that movie, I did sign the paper, which is dishonest. And when I got to the set, I said, um, Lawrence Kasdan, I can't, I can't be naked. I can't act. I can't. I'm a Baptist. I'm a born, I'm a Christian and I'm sorry. And he's like, oh. you know, like, and then and when I auditioned for him, Christopher, I'm on an interview. I'll call you back. When I auditioned for him, um, I had to cry. I don't cry on cue good. I made myself cry and I really wanted to be in it. But anyway, it worked out fine. Um, Kevin Klein said he was in the scene. He goes, I'll be naked. I'm thinking <laughs> you don't have to show nudity to, to know somebody slept with somebody. So they put me in a big man's t-shirt and the scene in a big man's t-shirt and Kevin Klein showed his butt naked for a little beep. Cause as a director, I was all nudity. Beep. So Kevin Klein was a gentleman. So there, you know, there, there's, there's a gray area. <clears throat> I was the breadwinner. I was married to a guy then, fire eater, didn't make any money, had a baby, you know, but I couldn't, I just couldn't be naked. And then it came up in another movie. They're like, well, you just show your butt and that, you know, so yeah, it, it's, I mean, it right now in Hollywood, there's so few roles that I could even audition for. Because everything on streaming is like is like shows called Lucifer. Everything has a homosexual agenda. Everything has nudity. Everything has like soft porn. I mean, what in the world could I even audition for? So um, it, it is hard to be in show business and be a Christian. But now the movement of Christian movies is rolling along. They are known for not being good but they're getting better. And I'm, I'm, I prayed for for a long time. I was like, Lord, please make the Christian movies better. And now I live in Nashville and I'm starting to get parts in these movies. And it's sort of like Lord going, okay, well you make them better. 
<laughs> you have hands and feet and a funny voice. You don't make that. I don't know. Anyway, they're getting better. You know, uh, even you know, even the Hallmark movies, everything has a, a an audience. Like I think they're horrible, but some people think they're fantastic. I can't watch them. <laughs> I would rather watch. Um, what's that thing on YouTube? I'm addicted to YouTube. That channel where he has all of the the people, the drug addicts from uh, Skid Row. What's that one called? I don't know. I just love. I love hearing about. Like my personality is really happy, but I'm drawn to uh, entertainment that's the opposite. I guess yeah. I have enough happiness or something. I don't know. It's called Soft White Underbelly. Okay. Have you heard of it? I haven't. Oh, it's like a heroin addict. And they tell their life story. And you're like, man, they didn't have a chance. Look at their childhood. No father, drug addict mother, molested as a child. You know, and you hear these stories and it's like, there's a lot of sin in the world. And that's why I wrote the song. It's a broken world, baby. <laughs> right. Well, I think you're drawn to them because it's real. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't prefer to really like read fiction i don't have time i like to read nonfiction. It's something that's real real people biographies learn something okay for instance maria bamford she's an atheist and she's one of my favorite comedians her mother was a christian speaking of cults right but this fascinates me because i met her once and i i feel like how could i explain to her that jesus is real like what would be the magic and i think it's up to the holy spirit i think it's supernatural faith yeah. is a gift and only the lord can save someone all we can do is love them and you know be a good testimony or show them the bible if they read the bible they will understand but i yeah i like real stuff yeah like yeah. you when i was younger in the church i you have the revelation that leads to salvation <clears throat> and then phase two is that leads to at some point you feel called and called to what is the question but um the call to do what it takes to have other people experience what you did and that's a life calling and when i was younger i thought well that means i'm gonna be billy graham or i'm gonna do something you just view ministry as you see it in front of you mm -hmm. um where in retrospect, uh, really, it's just seed planting. I think I think ministry in your life is what you've done is um, live a real, authentic, personal faith. And then that influences what well, in a dark world. So you maybe intentionally didn't think that when you're going to Hollywood, <clears throat> but it sounds like you did see it as a mission field but not to separate yourself from the world or no one ever gets the influence of it. Just live a life, be mm -hmm. true to your faith and your personal relationship with Christ. And then as the opportunity arises, mm -hmm. you have a, a reason and an answer ready for your faith. And then that's the seed planting and that you're really Johnny Appleseed your whole life. You're not Billy Graham. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. And I, th and I think along that line is I was taught the opposite. When I was in youth group, I thought, man, I'm, I'd never be a good minister. Cause they'd be like, you have to go, let's all go to Taco Bell and witness. Let's all go in street witness. I'm like, that would never convert me. And I feel like it's weird and it's great. Some people need to do that. And I it works for some people, but for me, I became comfortable with the be ready when someone, if someone hasn't asked a question they're not ready for an answer. That's good. By the time somebody asks a faith question, they're ready to hear an answer and God will put you in their path to answer it for them. And that's kind of been my thought on the Christian life. And as I look at your life, that kind of seems to be how it flows mixed with ukulele songs and standing on your head and everything. Well, you know what? I have so many thoughts on this topic. Um, Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the Jew first and also to the Greek, making, make disciples. And, and so that's a command. 
So there's most, a lot of religions don't proselytize. And I didn't proselytize when I went to work at Saturday Night Live. I tried to be on time, know my lines, be a, you know, a good professional, you know, and, and then, you know, sometimes if, you know, somebody, one time they were writing a sketch about a gay thing. It was in the eighties. It wasn't as big as now. And the writers were all talking about a joke or something. And I took, I saw a Bible on the shelf. I took it down and I opened to Romans one. And I said, well, you know what the Bible says about homosexuality? I said, it's in a paragraph equal to the sin of gossip. Right. <laughs> and I said, and I, and I read it out loud, you know, gossip, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, you know, uh, all the sins that are in Rome. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> and so, um, but my, my, my theory about witnessing is that, you know, God made us all unique and, um, and I, I love how you explained witnessing, but my father was a good example to me because he was a women's gymnastics coach. Okay. So, uh, one day in the gym, Maureen Fowler was doing her beam routine. My dad's going straighten your knees, point your toes, because that's what you say all day long when you're a coach. That's why I don't want to be one. Straighten your knees, point your toes. <laughs> How many times have they? And so, um, so Maureen, he, they were talking and he goes, Vicky, come here. He, he couldn't remember anything, names or Bible verses or where they come from. He goes, Vicky, quote John 316 for Maureen. And we're in the gym in leotard, chalk on our hands, you know, sweaty, Miami, Florida. And I go, uh, I quoted it. And he, I said, you don't know John 316? And he goes, she's Catholic. And I go, Catholic people don't know John 316? <laughs> and then um, she goes, no, I've never heard it before. Okay, cut to years later, I'm doing stand-up in North Carolina Someone says, there's a girl here, a woman here wants to say hi from your childhood. She's wearing a hat. And, and I said, oh, okay. So I see her. She's wearing a hat and long hair. I go, Maureen Fowler, what are you doing here? Oh, I live here. I heard you were doing stand-up here. Wow, what are you doing here? She goes, I've got to tell you something. We go in the custodian closet with the brooms or whatever. And she takes off her hat and her wig. And she says, I have breast cancer. And she was bald and she's like stage four and I, she was 36 years old. And um, I go, Oh no, I didn't know that. And she goes, I want to get a hold of your dad because I want to tell him that he was the first person who ever told me about Jesus. And I've accepted Jesus as my savior this year. And all of my children have. And I said, Marie, that's, that's fantastic. And so as she was dying, her husband would not let her read the Bible. She called my dad a couple of times and said, thank you for being the first one who told me about Jesus. And then um, I sent her Bible verses about, you know, we'll have a new body in heaven and all the verses about life after death, you know, death, where's thy sting? Oh, the grave, where's thy victory or whatever. Um, and because her husband wouldn't let her read the Bible. I would send them in the verses and letters and her brother, Bill would read the letters to her on her deathbed. And so I got to see how my dad was a missionary and a preacher and his, because wherever a, a Jesus follower goes, a Christian, of course, as you brought up before, is not someone who was born in America or is not a Muslim. Right. A, a real Christian is someone who is a, it means little Christ, I think. Doesn't Christian mean little Christ? Yeah, we're, little anointed ones. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm blurry. I think I had a sticker up here. Anyway, um, so, you know, the Lord, I mean, we're missionaries wherever we go, whatever we're doing. We're missionaries. We're either bad ones or good ones. If we are Christ followers, if we are believers in him. And, and uh, I'm so glad you brought up the question, what is a Christian? Because a friend of mine the other day um, 
what's her name? Sandy. She goes, someone said, are you a Christian? She goes, of course I'm a Christian. I'm not a Muslim. And I was like, I was like, oh my goodness, I got to tell her what a real Christian is. And I'm trying to think of how to start the conversation, you know? Uh, So, um, yeah. So anyway, you're so fun to talk to. (laughs) So much in common. My daughter, my daughter just wrote this book. This is my daughter. Fighting shame with the God, ashamed. Very nice. Yeah, she's, this is her fifth book. She works for Lifeway and she's a Christian writer and speaker. I got some of her books over here, but. Nice. So what projects, um, I know you're working on some stuff now. What's going on with you, like career wise? Well, career wise, as I said, I, oh shoot, I have to have to do one thing you can leave you can leave the record going i think this is funny and interesting all right okay this is very interesting china phillips has a oh my my bible okay i'm i'm in an interview right now and i'm china phillips started a youtube called um california preaching because her mom and dad were the mamas and the papas and they wrote this song california dreaming china's on fire for the lord it's i've seen so a couple cool. episodes yeah and her well, husband is one of the baldwins right yeah so she yeah billy baldwin okay so hold, hold on bible babes so um i'm, I'm in an interview it's kind of overlapping because i was a little late sorry okay so anyway china started a group called california healing and there's like four groups of women now. We call each other every day at noon and read the Bible, four chapters, too old, too new, out oh. loud to each other. And it's 12, it's 1204, and they're waiting for me to read the Bible. But um, Bible babes, that's what China calls us. You you go on without me, okay? And I'll be there tomorrow. Okay. Hey. I love you guys. I think we're in I think we're in numbers four and Romans four, but Amy would know. Okay. I love you. Bye. Can't miss my Bible Bay meeting. Yeah. Well, do you want to go take that? I've had you for a long time. I want to still talk to you, but that's up to you. No, let's keep going. Because I'm there today. Okay. All right. Uh, Oh, so I was going to talk about um projects that you're currently working on Christmas movie or something. Well, I, I just did one with Logan Seculo. Um, it's called jingle smells <laughs> and it's a comedy. And I played uh, a political activist liberal and I was screaming these big words. It was, it was hard to memorize, but then I got there and it was all on teleprompter. I was like, whoo. And then I got to play a principal in the movie Into the Spotlight. And I'm just so grateful the Lord's letting me do that funny stuff. And then on the side, I do my music stuff. I'm on Huckabee this this Friday. So I'm trying to figure out what to wear. That's the hardest part. What to wear and what to sing. Yeah. And then I'm also in community Bible study. We're studying Samuel right now. So I got to do that or I'll get behind. Very good. Um, your, let's talk a little bit about, uh, your breast cancer situation. Um, just in the terms of, did that, what did it do to your faith or are you the same person now as before that? How do you view that whole time period where you're faced with mortality? Cause I'll start by started off by saying this, I've said it on other podcasts, my favorite scripture is as much as I like to have fun, and this scripture sounds daunting, is uh, you know, Ecclesiastes saying that it's better to be in a house of mourning than a house of feasting. Um, that your day of death better than your day of birth, and it all sounds backwards, but if we're having a great life all the time, mm. you don't reach out for help and you don't think you need it. And, you know, it's a broken world, as you say in saying, but sometimes that broken world leads us 
to Christ. Wow. You, I love talking to you. Okay. We, <laughs> we are so like-minded. I mean, yes. When I had cancer and I was laying in bed on chemo and I was too weak to lift up the remote to change the TV channel, I was singing Psalms 23 out loud and I felt I've never felt closer to Jesus and I never felt it was so Jesus was so real and I was I was like wow this is really real my faith is real I really believe he's standing right next to me holding my hand I drew a picture of it and I can't even draw I felt like he was standing right next to my bed like standing there and the Bible, the words were so real. And, you know, first of all, I was beating myself up because, you know, my dad taught me when I was little, don't drink and smoke, don't overeat, you know, that leads to a lot of diseases. And I drank a lot of wine in my period being trapped in the Miami suburbs for 18 years, raising my kids which I hated living there. My husband was, I gave up my career for him and that was hard. I was just sipping wine. No, no DUIs, nothing like that. But you know, when you have cancer, you're like, well, I deserve this. I shouldn't have drank wine or I shouldn't have had secret cigarettes in my dressing room at Saturday Night Live. I never smoked in front of anyone. Never smoked in front of my kids. I secretly was trying not to get fat and uh it was a nervous wreck and you know so all my sins flashed before me and I was like Lord I'm a sinner you know that's why you died on the cross but um it says the wages of sin is death so there's that I mean you can't smoke five packs a day and go why do I have lung cancer I mean seriously and so there's that part of the breast cancer thing. There's like, they say breast cancer comes from sugar. Well, I'm addicted to sugar. I chewed bubble gum all through my twenties because I was trying not to eat. So I was trying to be skinny. So when you get fired from TV, so you got sugar causes cancer and alcohol and they're very chemically related. And, <clears throat> and so, but I do have friends who never drank alcohol and they have breast cancer. So, you know, there's that. <clears throat> but after you beat yourself up and you're like, you know what? I, I, my, my other thought was um, that uh, I've, I've never had a terrible tragedy. I go, it's about time. I was 57. I was like, you know what? I've had a pretty blessed life. It hasn't been, you know, perfect. I was raised in pretty much poverty and you know <clears throat> I was poor and I and I I you know I've been held up with a gun the Lord protected me I mean I've been through stuff you know broken hearts and stuff but um being lied to and you know betrayed and that's pretty hard but um but I thought I never really had one of these cancer or, you know tragedies so that is about time it's my time my next thought is i've never been closer to the lord my faith was real i wrote the book selfishly because i was bored and i wanted a creative outlet but my real goal in everything i do is to tell the gospel to tell people that jesus is god and he's real and he's the answer to everything and um I've been looking up my old Saturday Night Live things. And I, when I was the Christmas tree handstand, I mentioned the Lord. When I was on the update desk with Dennis Miller, um, I mentioned the Lord because uh, the joke was, uh, Dennis, I have my priorities straight. You know, number five, I'm a news reporter. Number one, I'm a mother. Number two, I'm a Christian. I knew I should have said Christian first, but it would have ruined the joke. The joke was I took my baby to work and filmed her as a reporter instead of anyway. So I, what I, what I noticed is that 
all through my whole life, I have tried to do Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. So I've tried to acknowledge him in a handstand, in a ukulele song, in my stand-up act. And even when people would have said, don't do that, don't sing about Jesus in a comedy club, the Lord's just, and he shall direct thy path. He's directed in this great adventure. If you're a Christian, he gives you such a great adventure. And I mean, like, I'm still getting to do comedy against all odds in a world that's trying to shut me up, trying to blacklist me, and he's still letting me know. A lot of times I think, you know, if it's the end times and we're sitting in a jail cell, um, I picture this a lot because we're losing freedom of speech as we speak. Um, I've been kicked off YouTube and everything. So um, I think about sitting in this jail cell with rats running by and someone catching it for dinner. And I think about me being with a couple other people and us trying to read the Bible with our brains, you know, like saying what verses we remember. Like if we all say the verses that we've memorized, we could kind of put together the Bible and that mm. would, God's word would carry us through that hard time. Of course, we could make up funny ukulele songs about rats or something. But um, I think about that, like <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm prepared you know, ever since I was six and I trust the Lord, like <clears throat> whatever he's got, I trust him. And like when Stephen was being stoned to death, uh, sometimes I think that the Lord maybe, maybe made him not feel the pain. I mean, when I accidentally cut my wrist in the dishwasher, I, my body went into shock and I didn't feel the pain for a long time. So I was thinking maybe the Lord when you're being burned at the stake or something is makes you not feel, I, I don't know. I just trust him. I think he loves us. And, and, it, and it's such a brief, like the Bible says, our trials here are so brief and the weight of glory of what we're looking forward to is so big, but I don't know if I answered your, what, Oh, so the cancer thing. Yeah. So you would think I would quit eating sugar because I had to go through double mastectomy, uh, chemo radiation and i didn't eat sugar like i remember when i was counting how many bubble gums i had a day you know no wine and i was like i had two bubble gums today and i looked really skinny in 2017 maybe and then gradually as i fall back into taking health for granted and i'm back to you know lollipops and you know being not as health conscious. I, I mean, so it didn't make me a strict, I mean, I always ate healthy fruits and vegetables. I always did that, but this is my vitamin uh, drink. So, you know, so spiritually, I think it made me a little bolder to witness. Mm -hmm. I, already, I was already bold, but it made me even bolder. And this is what I said through the whole year of chemo treatment and stuff. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. It's a win-win. Yeah. It would almost do, this sounds weird, but almost do everyone a favor if they had, um, well, it's when we're faced with our own mortality or some people we care about mortality that we take life seriously you know what was it what if this was my last day was my life meaningful um when i was about 23 i had a a brush with death and it, it changed my whole life um i mean i was a believer but then it was like well what if this is my last year so then all my career choices became based in that frame of mind and then i've lived like that ever since what if this is my last month how would I want, if I end up stuck in a hospital, it's my last day, would I wish I would have lived the last month differently, the last year differently? And there's a bit of morbidness to that, but I think that's what scripture teaches us is that you don't, you're not promised tomorrow. You live one day at a time and you, you live it to its fullest today. 
Yes, scripture does teach that. And I have lived that. I have lived every day as if it was my last. I, I, my parents were so good. They taught me, I, I don't take anything for, I appreciate every moment and I take every moment seriously and every word that I'm saying, you know, and my, my parents were, they taught me that, Hey, if you want to know why it's blurry, why I'm blurry besides the filter, I have these stickers, my address, I put on my, you know, camera because I got hacked before. Oh, no. I was eating a lollipop late at night, like my seventh one. And I was watching something. Yeah. Seven is a holy number. If you're going to eat seven, if you're going to do them, you might as well eat seven of them. Wasn't alcohol. And I was like, on my seventh one. It could have been my 13th. I don't know. And uh, this man's voice came out of my computer and said, wow, really pounding down that sugar, aren't you? Wow, that's creepy. And I went and I thought, do I have a, do I have a movie on it? A, a... And then I realized somebody was watching me. So I slowly oh. closed. So that's why ever since I put stickers on there and then I take them off and it's all blurry. Thank you for what you're doing. I'm super impressed. You have a beautiful golden heart and you really blessed me today. And I'm so happy I met you. I'm glad. Thank you. Well, I've heard you tell um, Beth Cook, you want to be best friends. I'm thinking, I want to be best friends with her. Because every time I'd hear you talk, I'm like, that's how I think. That was my life, you know. You're totally, we're best friends for life. Okay, perfect. That's it. Counted among the outlaws, he said, come, follow me. People from all walks of life since have been becoming outlaws. 